the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Now, wait a minute. I'm just trying to learn the Emilio Shuffle. We'll tell you about that just a moment. Hey, we're here. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The answer and the reason we are practicing that is because coming up for the Lace It Up for our seniors 5K or 2.5K walk or run for the WellMed Charitable Foundation, Rolito Navarro will be there performing. Uh, and among the things he does is that incredible hip movement. You met him the other day. I did, and we are so excited to have Raulito join us at our Run for Seniors. So this is um, for those of you who are in the San Antonio area, but you could be from anywhere. If you want to come down and help us raise money to support programs that serve seniors and family caregivers and this radio show, uh, come out on May the 6th. It's a Saturday at 8 in the morning. It's Election Day, so you'll still have time to get out and vote. No problem there. Or you can early vote. You can vote early. I do it early in, in avoid all those long lines but we're at mission county park pavilion which if you haven't been to mission county park on the south side of san antonio it's a lovely venue i think you'll be really pleased we're going to run we're going to walk our seniors run for free so if you're 60 and over it doesn't cost anything and you get a cool shirt and the post-race performance is Raulito Envira. Or you can be a sleepwalker. And by the way, Carol is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and a well-known nationally recognized gerontologist. She, she knows of what she speaks. Now, you can be a sleepwalker as well, and I love this category. Well, the sleepwalker is you, you know, you pay your $25 entry fee. And you don't uh, have to show up. But you don't, you get, we, you pay to get to stay in bed, and we send you a blanket. I like that. Um, for your trouble. So instead of the race t-shirt for the active people who run and walk, you get a blankie. Right, which is, of course, counter to everything WellMed instructs its Oh no, Providers rest is very important. Sleep, we exercise. don't we're absolutely happy to have you get a good night's rest. Well, that's true. I like that. Now, as you take a look at what's been going on in the world, you said to me off the air, you know, I'm sick of the headlines. Well, you know, the news <laughs> has been so overwhelming lately, you know, all over. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. You're feeling like you're pushed this way or that way to the edge of this and that. And so I was thinking, you know, they're just, I don't even want to look at the headlines and go through the newspaper because I'm over my head. It's depressing. Um, and, and feeling stressed out. And it occurred to me that, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about caregiving and stress. And and I'm sure that all of our caregivers out there who, you know, have all are, are doing all of these caregiving duties, that everything going on to the news, if you're listening to it or reading in the newspapers at all, it pushes your stress level even further. And that's not good for you. We try not to have our kids watch because a lot of it is so negative, angry, and ugly. Well, you know, we're lucky that our guest today is a journalist who is going to talk to us about the positive side of the news. So we should mention Jay Newton Small, um, and and she's coming up, and she's going to be talking about memory well. Talking about an opportunity to tell your loved one's story so that those who are caring for him or her in, for example, a memory unit or an extended uh, assisted living facility can know the real story instead of that 20-page questionnaire that nobody reads. Yes, so stay tuned for Jay because she's an amazing you know, person with— An this, award-winning a, journalist. An award-winning journalist who has taken those, all of that 
um, skill and engaged lots of other journalists on, you know, to help those of us uh, who are caring for someone who can't speak for themselves. But, you know, all of this and all of this stress, I just wanted to, to remind our caregivers out there that stress is not something that's in your head. You know, stress is something that you, it triggers a physiological response. This is fight or flight kind of hormone release. So if you feel like you've been running a race, if you feel like you're being chased by lions and tigers and bears, it's because that's actually what your body is doing internally. You said to me, and I mentioned you off the air, that God, you look great. You've been losing weight, not that you needed to lose weight. And you said, well, I'm exercising more to deal with stress. Well, that's it, and that's what I do. So my de-stressor is to go to Zumba or to run, like in our race, Uh, although I don't usually do a 5K every day, I must uh, admit that. (laughs) Uh, So for me, the de-stressor is exercise, Uh, but the result of un, you know untreated stress in your life if you're a caregiver is you you know you will have more chronic illnesses if we were to take caregivers and people who are the same age same sex exactly like them but weren't caregiving the group that were caregivers would have more diabetes more heart disease more stroke and the difference between a caregiver and a non-caregiver is stress. Wow. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, talking about stress and caregiving. And Jay Newton Small is going to join us in a couple of moments, a nationally known journalist with Time Magazine and Bloomberg, covered the White House and uh, international events, who has left that on a full-time basis now uh, to get up and running with memory well, trying to help people tell the stories of their loved ones who may be in a memory unit or uh, suffering from Parkinson's or some other disease where they can't tell their own story. Now, when it comes to stress, you've had, and it's not just work-related, you had some household problems. You had a little problem with a water heater that spread a little water on all your floors. If you like five inches of water in your house, it was fine. You know, you like that little squish, squish, squish sound as you walk through your carpet. It's great. And you'd had to have the carpet pulled out, the floors pulled out. This cannot be fun, Carol. Well, you know, it's all of this, you know, my, uh, I have to say, it's, we thought that it was going to be a new year. I remember my sister and I at Christmas time looking at each other, uh, because last year was the year we put my mom in a facility, and it was a real roller coaster ride. Uh, And so we were like, oh, this is going to be a new year. And that's about the time my water heater blew up. Um, and then my mom fell and was in the hospital, and you know, then she passed away. Uh, so it's been uh, tough. We, it, we dealt with that, and now we're, I'm finally home, and the construction is starting, and the news is all over the place. So these are not, you know, when we're stressed out, um, all of these small insults, all of these things kind of build up. And so we need to find that release for us. We need to acknowledge that we're angry, we're anxious, we're afraid, you know, that we are indeed stressed, and we need to do something about it. Now, how was your roof after the hailstorm? Well, yeah, luckily, luckily we're one of the few people that has, we have the ugliest roof in the neighborhood with the rocks on top. We have a gravel roof. Um, and so there's not much you can do to a rock. Hail is just another rock hitting a rock. Uh, and so <laughs> luckily, with the baseball-sized hail that we had, right. it could have easily have gone through, actually. Well, it did in our house. Yeah, it could have <laughs> gone. It did go through the skylight, but yeah. it didn't go through the roof wow. itself. Um, so at the Wellmed <laughs> Charitable Foundation, you know, we offer, and we're in 13 states around the country, we just added the state of Colorado. If you're out in Colorado, cool. uh, you know, listen up. You know, we have a stress-busting class. And our stress-busting class teaches stress management techniques. And so these are not things you would know intuitively, right? Um, Journaling and aromatherapy and um, hand massage. uh, It's mindfulness and yoga. So there's a variety of things you can do to reduce your stress, and you need to find the one that's right for you. It's that cortisol that eats you up. Well, it is, and it's interesting because right now we have a grant 
uh, going on with the University of Texas Health Science Center, Dr. Lita Arevalo Flechas is study is taking our Spanish stress busting class, and she's validating that the Spanish works as well as the English. Um, and it's a cultural adaptation; it's not the English. But she actually does, you know, a, a, there's a blood stick that goes with it, and there's a, a swab of the cheek of saliva, huh. and she's actually measuring the stress hormone levels, you know, in the caregivers. Before they take stress busting and after. That's cool. And what we know is that the stress is going to go down. Uh, and what we want is the stress to go down. So if you're not in one of our 13 states, you, you, know, you can go to caregiversos.org and find out which states that we're in and who, you know, that you can call our, our 866 toll-free line and find out where the closest stress management, stress busting class is. Um, or we can hook you to, up to an agency in your area that might be doing something similar. Uh, so I'm just here to encourage you that if um, life is getting to be a little bit too much for whatever reason, politics, uh, weather, construction, caregiving, your children, uh, holidays, I don't know. It could be anything. Your car broke down. I was talking to somebody whose, you know, their car was blocking one of the busiest intersections in San Antonio yesterday morning. And they were trying to get somebody to get them pushed off the road. All of these things. Um, You know, don't, don't think it's nothing because it's not stress is a real threat to your health. It does affect you. And it's really important to deal with it. And in the annual checkup that WellMed patients receive, uh, are the providers asking about stress and stress levels? Well, you know, we ask about depression, but I'm not sure the question on the stress comes out. We need to you know, stress work that can in. lead to depression, yeah. and so we might find it that way. Um, but that's a good thought, and and so, you know, I don't know. May, I don't know if stress is the new normal in our lives, but sometimes it feels that way. I'm sure it does. Now, it's UT Health, formerly known as UT Health Science Center. They've changed their name. Well, they have. They have grouped everything, but they're still doing everything together. And we're so fortunate that we have the Barshop Institute, which is one of the premier aging research centers in the country. And they um, have the... have provided the funding to Dr. Arevalo Fletches to, to do the stress-busting cool. research. And they're doing uh, groundbreaking work over there. Well, they are. And so, and if you're interested, if you're in the San Antonio area and you'd like to participate in our Spanish stress-busting study, call our 866 number and you can get signed up. Just a couple of moments, we talk with Jay Newton-Small uh, talking about memory well, and we'll give you all the information you need to know about really an amazing program that is uh, backed up now by some 300 journalists across the country who can write your loved one's story uh, to share with people if they're in a, a, a treatment center of some sort, if they're in a memory unit, so they get a little better knowledge of who they are. Well, and I think the last thing that I want to mention is, and Take 10 today, we're going to be introducing an old friend of ours who's joining Take 10. Who's young. Who's young, yes, Rundy Purdy, who has spent, you know, he's only in his, thir- uh, you know, 30-ish. Just, yeah. And he spent half of his life as a caregiver. So he has an, he's an old soul, uh, wise beyond his years. And he was originally on the show uh, after he released his book, um, The... Sea is wide. The sea is wide. So I say the ocean is wide. That's yeah. not the wrong body that of water. Too. The sea is wide. Um, and he was a keynote speaker for us at our Caregiver Summit. And now he's joining us on Take 10. And we look forward to that. Jay Newton-Small in just a moment on Caregiver SOS On Air, Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. If you're Medicare eligible, have I got a great deal for you. Absolutely free, and it's full of fun. You can explore all of the stuff at the new Witty on Broadway. Join WellMed for WellMed Day at the Witty, 10 a.m. to noon, Thursday, September 21st. And you'll enjoy the new witty and a chance to meet all of the great folks at WellMed. Free food, too. Join us on September 21st at the Witty, 3801 Broadway. No registration needed. For caregivers and healthcare professionals, the 2017 WellMed Charitable Foundation Caregiver Summit is for you at the Whitley Theological Center on Oblate, November 9th, 833. Featured speakers include AARP columnist and psychologist Barry Jacobs on helping seriously ill loved ones and caregivers. Dr. Nicholas Musi, Barshop Institute, gives us the latest on research on Alzheimer's and aging, and Cynthia Hazel talks about mindfulness. Attendance is free, but registration required at caregiversos.org social worker CEUs and nursing CNEs available.
Well, thank you so much for sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. As we've been promising, we are delighted to welcome Jay Newton Small to our Caregiver SOS On Air program, co-founder of Memory Well, a startup of journalists who tell the life stories of those living with Alzheimer's and dementia. The idea is to improve care. She has an incredible, distinguished career. And if you Google her, you'll see that and a whole lot more. She was Washington correspondent for Time magazine, where she remains a contributor. At times, she covered politics as well as stories on five continents from conflicts in the Middle East to the earthquake in Haiti and the November 2015 Paris terror attack. She's written more than a half dozen Time cover stories and interviewed numerous heads of state, including Presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush and Jay Newton-Small. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on Air. Thanks for being here. Ron and Carol, it's my honor to be here. My pleasure. Well, you have done some incredible things. What led you from all of your international involvement uh, covering uh, world affairs and national affairs uh, to focusing on memory well and helping those uh, families struggling with someone with Alzheimer's and dementia? Well, Ron, it was really my father that led me <laughs> to where I am today, um, both in the literal sense that he was my father, but also because he had Alzheimer's. And so my mother passed away um, six years ago now, and I was my father's primary caregiver. I was an only child. And so while I was going into a lot of those places, like Iran and Iraq, you know, I was also my father's primary caregiver, and so I would be getting calls from his caregivers all the time, sort of um, telling me how he was doing as I was traveling. And... Um, so a few years ago, I put him into a home in the Washington area, and um, you know he was starting to wander. He was getting very agitated, and I couldn't I couldn't take care of him myself anymore. And when I did, they asked me to fill out this like 20-page questionnaire about his life. And I'm like, who reads? First of all, who's going to be able to read my handwriting? I have terrible handwriting. <laughs> and then, secondly, you know, who's going to read 20 pages of handwritten data points for the more than 150 residents in, in that particular? community and I was like look why don't you just let me write down a story for you I'm a journalist it's, it's what I do um, and so they humored me and, and it actually really it transformed his care it was amazing so my father had spent his entire career working for the United Nations um, and in fact 20 years of that doing development work in Africa and two of his caregivers were from Ethiopia where he'd lived from 1958 to 1962 and they'd had no idea and they just were they loved the fact that he'd um, worked with Emperor Haile Selassie, and they would sit for hours showing him photos of Selassie and Addis Ababa, the capital, and um, and it really, they became his champions, and it transformed his care. And seeing this enormous impact for my dad, um, I really felt that there was this need, that um, and it, it became almost a calling. And so um, after the election, I decided that instead of covering my third White House, you know, I, I would always regret not getting memory well a chance, and I wouldn't necessarily always regret covering the White House because I've done it twice before. So um, I took this terrifying but amazingly exhilarating leap and, and went full-time with memory well. Um, and a friend of mine from Time Magazine, Denver Nix, came with me, and he, um, he runs the, he's our chief content officer, and then we also have a CTO named Andrew Fibish, Fibish, sorry, excuse me, Andrew Fibish. But, um, but yeah, we're really, like, it's, it's amazing, and we just feel like we're um, making such a difference in people's lives. It's so rewarding. Well, let me just chime in because I read the article about Memory Well um, at the time my mother was alive and living in a facility with Alzheimer's, and I read your article, and it was at the same time that my sister and I were looking at this revolving door of staff in and out of this memory care unit, and my sister would ask the director of the facility, how do we know that this information in this 20-page questionnaire that you're talking about, how do we know that all of these new people are going to know our mother? How are you going to tell them who she is and what she likes? And in our case, my mother was an RN, and so her thing was wandering in and out of other people's rooms, which they didn't like, but she was checking on everyone. 
uh, to make sure they were okay. And so once the staff realized that she wasn't just being, you know, obtrusive and, and getting into folks' rooms, and they understood that she was taking care of everyone. Fulfilling her life mission. Yeah, that's what she did. She was, you know, the last one to bed and checking on everyone. She worked the night shift. So for me, he, reading about memory well and just thinking about, yes, how do we get people who work in facilities? And I think you're right. I, I mean, I think you're already um, making an impact just with that thought of of knowing that hidden story uh, behind the person with Alzheimer's who can't articulate it. We're going to find out how it works and how you can support Memory Wall. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernial. We're talking with Jay Newton-Small on our Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. If you've just joined us, this is a fascinating topic, and we encourage you to uh, pay attention, to listen. It'll be available on podcast as well, and you can share it with friends and neighbors and colleagues so that we can help spread the word as well. Uh, Jay, tell us how it works. If you, like Carol, uh, have a relative who's uh, in a memory unit who may have some form of dementia or Alzheimer's, how, how can you benefit from uh, what Memory Well is all about, and also how do we support you? Oh, thanks. Um, um, so, so, Basically, if you think of journalism these days, we take our talents and we apply them to the rich and the famous and the infamous and the powerful. And what we're doing is we're taking that model and we're kind of turning it on its head and we're applying it to everyday people, people who's, um, and, it, and the stories might only get read by 10, maybe 20 people, but it, they have a much deeper impact. And so right now, as Carol was saying, these, these, these questionnaires are hardly read by caregivers and the, and most homes experience on average 55% turnover of staff annually, which is just a huge amount of churn. And so the stories go a long way in very simply, in a really digestible, really beautiful way, just explaining who this person is and saying, this is, you know, the soul of this person and this is who they are. And it really builds empathy between caregivers and those they're taking care of. It builds empathy, frankly, between also family members and their loved ones. You know, for example, one of our, the women who in Chicago, whose story we did, um, her grandchildren used to hate to visit her. And now that they have her story, they understand her so much better and they visit her and they ask her about her childhood and, and all, all kinds of things. And so it really helps there as well. Um, and it, and it, studies have also, also shown that they reduce depression amongst those living with the disease. So there's all kinds of great reasons on why you should do this and, and how powerful the impact is because um, it, it is so important that these caregivers connect because if they don't, sometimes people can be treated, frankly, worse than dogs. I mean, dogs, you, you pet them and you have affection for them. Um, with these folks, like with my dad, especially when they're getting violent or, or, you know, it's sort of a miserable job taking somebody to the bathroom five times a day who you can hardly interact with. And so having their story there being able to empathize and relate to them really changes the quality of that job and it changes the quality of the care. Um, so we think it's, you know, it's really great to have these stories. And we, in order to better sort of get the word out, we print them out um, and we put them in one page, you know, versions so they can uh, put them in the care logs, they can laminate them and put them up on walls so that anybody coming in can read about the residents and form communities. Um, and so, Basically, if you just go to our website at www.memory-well.com, you can, anybody who has a family member can get a story, and you don't necessarily have to have Alzheimer's or dementia. It's really for anyone who can't speak for themselves, someone who might be in hospice or in the hospital or um, suffering from ALS or Parkinson's. Um, we've had lots of those kinds of stories that people have needed done. Um, and so any families can sign up, and then homes can also sign up on, on our website. And we can, and we'll then visit you, visit the homes, and, and sign you up and get journalists then matched to you. We have, a, we have a, more than 300 journalists across the country who we work with doing these kinds of stories. So how long does it take to put together a story? What, what does that process look like? Um, so it, it, relatively speaking, it actually takes a lot quicker than it does to take out to fill out these questionnaires. On average, we're told by homes that the questionnaires take two to three months to fill out. And that's a real waste because anyone who's put a loved one into these homes knows that the first month is always the hardest. And if you don't have that information at your fingertips, it makes it all the harder on your loved one. Um, and so family is, you know, because it's sometimes wrenching to fill out these questionnaires, sitting, feeling like you have to answer the definitive, like, what are my loved one's achievements or who is most important in their lives? Um, whereas a conversation with a journalist can be so much more fun and relaxing and just sort of say, hey, tell me about your loved one. Tell me about the good times that caregivers who are overburdened might not have been able to even think about for months or years, potentially. 
Um, so families love the process. Um, we send them the questions ahead of time. So they know what to expect. We ask them for five to ten photos, and then the journalist will call them up. The interviews usually take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, and we can have the story done within two hours after that and pretty much up, up online, posted, and ready to go. So have you had a, an entire facility say, yes, I want this for all of the residents in my facility? Yes. So, so far, the only facility that's done that with us is a, is a facility called St. Paul's in Chicago, and they have done, we've done it for all of their residents. Um, and it's been an amazing program. They love it. You know, they, they do it for every new incoming resident that comes in. It's really built community there, and they, they've had an amazing time with it. That's pretty uh, but cool. they're the only one so far. That's yeah, cool. Has, it's been awesome. <laughs> I like that. And uh, that can be a stepping stone uh, to others across the country, obviously. We need to, uh, and, I mean, you've had this kind of exposure uh, to get a uh, – uh, a CBS network or even a CNN piece that talks about this uh, can really go viral. Yeah, and I'm picturing. Absolutely. So I'm picturing, you know, like a virtual tour where you know on your website you have a list of facilities and you go in through the door and you can visit all of the residents in the memory care units in these facilities uh, and read their uh, stories and, and read their stories. I think that would be fabulous. Stay with me just a minute. We're going to come right back to you. We're talking with Jay Newton small uh, memory wall. Well is what we were talking about. And we're going to tell you a bit about a Kickstarter campaign that they are kicking off as a way to raise money. They've got some 300 journalists around the country, some of whom probably like to make a nickel or two so they can, feed their families. So it, there's a lot of expense involved in putting these together. And, and the two-hour turnaround between gathering the material, interviewing the uh, a family, and then providing that copy uh, gives you a pretty good understanding of how this can happen on your behalf. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Well, thank you so much for being with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. We're on 930 AM, The Answer. Podcasts of all of our shows are available, and you can also download them free on iTunes and on Android, and it costs you nothing. You can get our shows dropping right into your uh, either iTunes or Android on your smartphone, and you can uh, share them, listen to them, play them. And this is an example of a show that I know a whole lot of folks are going to want to hear. We're talking with Jay Newton-Small. She is the co-founder of Memory Well. Uh, She gave up a very high-profile job in journalism to do something that uh, she's very passionate about. Well, so we were talking about the stories that you collect uh, about people who have Alzheimer's or other conditions where they can't really speak for themselves so that the facility and family members can better know them. And you mentioned a large number. You said you have 300 journalists that are working with you. How did you find, I mean, I'm a gerontologist and I've been doing this a long time. And I can, you know, I said I can kill any dinner party just mentioning aging and Alzheimer's. So how did you find (laughs) 300 journalists uh, who are willing to sign on to this? Um, Kel, it's a great question. So um, we have about I would say 100 or so journalists, 150, I'd say, journalists who are just friends of ours, right? And so, um, you know, both Denver and I are longtime journalists writing for time. Uh, unfortunately, our industry is one where there's a lot of underemployed folks that we know who need um, freelance work. And so the original 150, I would say, journalists came from just us. Um, but the Washington Post then ran a story about us um, in December. It was a front page Sunday Times story, uh, or Sunday Post story. And that's the one that I saw. Uh, yes, the piece we saw. Yeah, exactly. And it got reproduced across the country, as you saw. And it was amazing how viral that went. We were totally not prepared for it. The Post had originally told us they were doing a blog about us. And we were like, oh, a blog. And then all of a sudden, it was like the front page of the Sunday Post. Um, and so it was a, it was the we had huge amounts of um, a reaction to that. And we had another about 150 journalists reach out to us in response to that story saying, hey, um, I'd love, I love what you're doing. I'd love to be involved. Um, and I would say at least 80% of those journalists 
had personal experience with Alzheimer's and dementia, which I think makes it even more kind of special to us that um, it creates this real community of people who know what it's like to go through this disease. And it also really helps because we have to do some training with journalists to sort of say, hey, when you're talking to families, be sensitive about certain issues or be sensitive in the language that you use in aging. Um, and, and a lot of those ones that came to us after the post, you didn't even need to train them because they were already, they'd already been living it. Um, and so unfortunately, there's just so many people um, touched by this disease across the United States. And it's really amazing how viral that story went and how many people came to us afterwards. I think we had almost, you know, more than 3,000 people contact our website um, either asking about what we do, asking to have their stories told, or asking to help us write or sell. So it was really, um, it showed you how viral it is and how much of a need I think there is for these kinds of stories and and connections in in this world. I had a very good friend uh, who passed away a few years ago, a guy named John Russell, who wrote for Scripps Howard in Washington, D.C. And John taught me to read the New York Times and Washington Post obits every Sunday, because uh, from his standpoint, some of the best storytellers were obituary writers. And I mentioned uh, off the air to Carol that really what you're doing are fabulous obituaries for living people. Well, I don't want to... She's she's not going to bite on that one, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a plus. It's not a negative. It's like naming buildings after people who are still living. We do that in San Antonio, in Washington, D.C. You don't get a building until you're dead. Here you can be alive and get a building. So that's what you're doing. You're telling these folks stories concurrently with their being alive. Yeah. And, I mean, look, there's, I think it's really important to note that um, just because somebody has a diagnosis does not mean that they're dead. And it right. doesn't mean that, nor does it even mean that they're close to dying. I mean, my father lived with Alzheimer's for 15 years. And for, you know, probably 12 of them, he had, he had really meaningful, very fulfilling experiences where he had, had a wonderful life. Um, and so um, I think by all means, like, there tends to be this kind of um, stigma that's involved with some of these diagnoses. And, and I want to be sure to say that this is by no means your obituary that you're writing. And in fact, I think of it as a very much a living document in which... Um, it, it, it moves with you through the disease. And so um, one of the things that we're doing is we're building out our website to allow these family members and said to us, well, when you write the stories or when they send the stories around to their loved ones, they want to contribute more. They want to add to them. And so we're building out our website to into a, so we're going to do a subscription model for this um, so that families can sort of almost create like a wiki page for these people and sort of add childhood memories, like, you know, the time when they, Uncle Joe took him ice fishing in Michigan or whatever it is, um, and then add family videos, add family photos, add their favorite videos and photos, and you can add now, you know, at any time. And these are amazing engagement tools. These are tools that they are they, they augment the stories. I mean, in order to understand the person, you have to have the story. But in order to engage them, it's great to have this whole sort of toolbox of things. And so I know when I was sitting with my dad, you know, towards the last, you know, two or three years of his life, when things got really rough and he didn't know who I was and he was kind of out there and was wondering why this strange girl and her dog was following him around the right. line. Like having these these sort of the music that he recognized or you loved MASH, the TV show, things like that, I would have it on my phone kind of preloaded in and it would draw him to me and bring his attention to me. And then I would bring him in with photos of Australia because he was originally Australian growing up and um, photos of his you know sister and his mother and his, his brothers. And so and just being able to engage with him for however many however many minutes I could grab him for that attention was really fulfilling to me. And, and, it's, and so I love that being able to sort of take these, these stories, uh, but then also give, add to them so much more meaning where people can sit and engage a person really personally and really profoundly. Well, it almost sounds like um, an alternative form of group therapy when you talk about all the family members contributing to the story. Um, for as meaningful as you found it uh, writing and working with your father and helping other people to know him, I could see where other people in the family joining in with the story so that all of you are, like I say, it, it, it's very therapeutic. It's it's like journal journaling out loud where you know we teach journaling in our stress management class and it's usually a quiet individual activity. This is journaling out loud. Absolutely. And look, I mean, there some caregivers will not be able to read all of the things that are there and understand it because 
or, you know, for whatever reason, but the story is always there for them to understand in a really simple terms. But there's journaling out loud for family. It just gives you so much more of a rich experience and really captures that person so much more holistically. And you feel like you're doing something. I know for me, like I felt so much guilt that I was never doing enough for my dad. And it, it, it enabled me to feel like I was doing something for him, like writing these things down, capturing his favorite music and, and videos, things like that. Just being able to give anybody something to make it better for him was meaningful to me. And I think that a lot of people are looking for that. Anecdotally, as you look at the stories that uh, you all have produced, have, have you come across some that just really stand out, the, the incredible things that people have done that nobody really knew about until Memory Well put it together? Um, well, so I, I, yes, but I, I have to be careful here because a lot of our stories are not public. Um, and so we have a privacy wall. Um, a lot of families don't necessarily want their loved ones' names out there associated with certain diagnoses. And so, um, and so we, you know, we do some of the stories we have up there are public for everybody to see and others are private. Sure. Um, but I can share with you, for example, one, there was, um, well, just one that I thought the difference made in the story, like, um, it was a man, and, and this was in the Washington Post story, there was a man who, a story we did, who was a fireman. And um, the, and every time the, 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 the home that he was in rang the, the meal bell, he would freak out. And they were like, God, what's wrong with this guy? Like, he's freaking out. And, um, and he wasn't a full-time fireman. He was actually a volunteer fireman. And he'd been a full-time, I think, accountant or something else. Um, but it wasn't until we did his stories they realized that he'd been a part-time fireman, that that was what was setting him off, and they just changed the tone. It went from being a bell to a tone, and he was completely fine. Um, and so just getting that sense of who these people are really can change their care. Um, but just so talking about amazing stories, like um, I love the veteran stories. So anyone who's fought in World War II or the Korean War, those are really profound, and I, I really think they're amazing to read. And one day, as journalists, we sort of aspire to this, but like being kind of a first draft of history for an entire generation whose stories were losing every day, right? And, um, you know, our lives are all capture, captured digitally all the time, but their stories are not. And so for us, it's really amazing to be able to capture some of these veteran stories. For example, there's a couple of stories we have about people who were in Woodstock, which I thought were really fun. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, those um, are stories that, yeah, that they haven't been sharing. What stays at Wood, you know, goes on at Woodstock, <laughs> stayed at Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some of them... Some of them, I think the family members are like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, the <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> so stuff like that. Um, there was one, and the World War II one, I think there was one in particular of a man who fought um, and was a paratrooper in France. And I thought that was really amazing to read his story. So, um, yeah, just being able to sort of um, see these, these tales of history, and it makes you view history in such different ways and their firsthand sort of experiences. I think is just as a journalist, especially such an amazing way thing to capture. Well, tell us a little bit. You're about to do a fundraiser. You're, so tell us a little bit about the campaign coming up. Kickstarter. Um, so yeah, Kickstarter is um, so it's a way of raising money uh, and awareness of what about what's going on. Um, we're gonna uh, we're trying to just sort of um, so it, Kickstarter is great because with each level you have an award, right? And so. For us, we wanted to make sure that um, people could see what we were doing and engage with it. And so most of our award levels are stories. And so starting at $250 donations, you can get your loved one's stories told. Um, and the, uh, basically, you know, at a certain level, um, I will do your loved one's story personally. And at a certain level, um, actually, you could have a celebrity journalist to tell your loved one's story. And so we have amazing, really famous journalists television journalists from CBS, from NBC, from um, CNN, uh, you know, from the Washington Post op-ed pages, um, you know, from magazines, national magazines and, and, uh, and newspapers. We have lots of, uh, the Wall Street Journal is another one. So we have lots of really amazing, famous journalists who will write your loved one's story um, for you if that's what you want. So we think it's a really exciting way to sort of engage journalists and what they do best, which is storytelling, but also families who um, want to have their loved one's story told by a really amazing writer. That's pretty cool. Now, for someone who just wants to go to your website and, and participate and get a story told about their loved one, what does that generally run? So generally speaking, our stories are um, $450. 
Um, but and that's for a very simple one-page version of the story. If you want a longer version, we will absolutely you know talk to you about doing longer versions, and that just sort of depends on how long you want the story to be. We had one woman who came to us and asking for a twenty thousand word story, and we were huh. we have been trying. That's to a book. You say War and Peace was already written. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we were trying to accommodate her. I don't know if it will end up being 20,000 words. Um, that's tough, but, that's interesting. <laughs> and, um, but we'll see. Well, um, look, we are almost but, out of time, and I, and I have to ask you, uh, I spent a lot of years in Washington. I worked in media in Washington. Uh, I don't miss it except when there are big cataclysmic events, and I think, man, it'd be fun to be back on the radio in Washington uh, doing talk radio for just a week. Do you miss it at all? Um, well, look, I still do a fair amount of television, um, so you might still see me on CNN and MSNBC, and I still contribute to time, and I can go back almost any time I want, but there's, I think I actually, you know, it's so funny looking at my Twitter feed, whenever I'm on TV now, it's like this maelstrom of kind of horribleness um, of the political zone, and then whenever I talk about, you know, memory well uh, on, on television or other areas, it's just like loving, happy, you're right. saving the world, this is so great, and it's just, That's it reinforces preferable. to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's much day, more preferable. Like... <laughs> Got to stop you right there. And we will look for you on uh, on television, and we will do what we can to help memory well. Jay Newton-Small, thanks so much for joining us. Ron and Carol, thank you guys so you much. You take care. Memory hyphen well, and you can find it on the Internet. Thanks very much. Up next, take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. Caregiver SOS on air. If you're Medicare eligible, have I got a great deal for you. Absolutely free, and it's full of fun. You can explore all of the stuff at the new Witty on Broadway. Join WellMed for WellMed Day at the Witty, 10 a.m. to noon, Thursday, September 21st, and you'll enjoy the new Witty and a chance to meet all of the great folks at WellMed. Free food, too. Join us on September 21st at the Witty, 3801 Broadway. No registration needed. For caregivers and healthcare professionals, the 2017 WellMed Charitable Foundation Caregiver Summit is for you at the Whitley Theological Center on Oaklade, November 9th, 8.30-3. Featured speakers include AARP columnist and psychologist Barry Jacobs on helping seriously ill loved ones and caregivers. Dr. Nicholas Musi, Farshop Institute, gives us the latest on research on Alzheimer's and aging, and Cynthia Hazel talks about mindfulness. Attendance is free, but registration required at caregiversos.org, social worker CEUs, and nursing CNEs available. Well, thank you so much for sticking with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. We turn to Take 10, a segment that follows each and every one of our caregiver programs, and we are delighted to welcome a new participant in Take 10, Rundy Purdy, who has been a caregiver starting almost from birth, caring as a young man for his granddad, working uh, help his grandmother as well, and he's joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air, Take 10. Rundy, we're glad you're with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. And our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is here as well, and you had a good idea for a topic talking about what if you don't know you're a caregiver? Well, that, you know, that seems to be what I call the elephant in the room, is that most people don't identify with a caregiver. And I was actually thinking, Rundy, about, you know, some of your stories. So when you started out, if someone had said you're a caregiver, would you have known they were talking about you? In my case, I would have known, because mine was somewhat of an unusual situation where crisis precipitated precipitated my joining the caregiving community because my grandmother became unable to be a caregiver and so had to ask me outright, I need help. But that is kind of the inverse of what mostly happens to people because most people are like my grandmother because she was the first caregiver. She was taking care of my grandfather and she would have been the person who didn't realize that she was a caregiver. And I think she only realized that she was caring for my grandfather when it became so much she couldn't do it anymore. And that's more typical Ahead, so, so you're saying that your grandmother didn't know. She was the one that didn't know she was a caregiver. Exactly. And that is so often what happens with caregivers is they don't admit that they're a caregiver until some crisis comes along and they realize, oh, this is far more serious than I was admitting to myself because we all want to deny that the person in our life, our mom or our dad or our spouse, is, is really that bad. So oftentimes it requires someone outside of, of our situation saying, hey, what you're doing is caregiving. 
or a crisis causes us to realize, whoa, things are a lot more serious than I realized here. So your grandmother would have identified herself as just a spouse doing what a spouse does. Exactly, exactly. Now, what about the rest of your family? Did they, so if your grandmother was taking care of your grandfather, did you or other members of your family know how poorly things were going with your grandfather? Nobody would have, except my brother Arlen was living with them at the time because he was going to college nearby, and so he lived with them and commuted to college. So he was in the same house, and so he did know. But it's very typical in caregiving situations where only people in the house realize what's going on. And usually mom and dad are not living with anyone else in the family, and so nobody in extended family realizes how bad things are until mom calls him up one day and is crying because dad's too much for her now. And the daughter or the son is like, where did this come from? I thought everything was just fine. Communication in these kind of situations is usually not very good because the parents don't want to let their kids know that things aren't good. And the kids don't want to know that mom and dad are getting old. So it's kind of like an unspoken mutual pact that we'll all kind of like pretend everything's normal. And people don't really admit to themselves that they're entering into a new phase of life where caregiving is a reality. Well, I, you know, I think you bring up a very good point um, about, you know, the denial and, the, and, and keeping the secret. You know, it's not unusual for the, you know, really the awareness to sink in for the rest of the family when someone passes away. What, you know, the, the spouse that was doing the caregiving passes away and, and, oh, yeah. and somebody with dementia in particular, they cue off of the person that's taking care of them. So yep, they absolutely. have, you know, they can mask it pretty well. The, if they're mm-hmm. in their routine and you're just going over for dinner or holiday gatherings, and they can kind of mask the behavior because they're queuing off of everybody else. But as soon right. as that caregiver is gone and you introduce a new caregiver or somebody they're not used to following, then all of a right. sudden it looks like they lost their mind overnight. They suddenly got Alzheimer's yep. when it's always yep. been there. When you got the yep. call from your grandmother, a, a call that came because of a crisis, she couldn't continue to provide the care your grandfather needed. Were you aware of what the situation was like, or was that a shock for you, too? Um, It was a shock in the sense that I had been told by my brother, who was more aware of the situation, that it would probably be another six months. So I knew things were going downhill, but I I was not at all prepared for the call then because I thought, oh, things are getting worse, but we've got six more months of getting worse before I'm needed. And I think that's a very common uh, situation, even when family members realize things aren't great, they still don't have a pulse on exactly where it's at. So uh, let's say mom says, hey, Johnny, daddy's not doing so well anymore. And Johnny's like, okay, and now we all get old. And he doesn't realize that what she means is I need help. And that is oftentimes a really hard thing for someone who's becoming a caregiver is they feel ashamed to ask for help, to say, hey, I'm in a dynamic now where I need to have other support with me. If you just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Rundy Purdy is our Take 10 expert today, joining us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. And, Rundy, uh, if you were to uh, uh, complete this sentence, what would you say? You know you're a caregiver if... Somebody else is depending on you. Somebody else is depending on you. Yeah, that's the really big thing. And if you say, you know what, if I wasn't there, how would my husband get his dinner? If I wasn't there, how would my wife get to a doctor's appointment? If I wasn't there, how would? And that's when you know you're a caregiver, when someone is depending on you for something. Sometimes it's not huge. Sometimes it is just depending on you for breakfast or for dinner. But if your spouse cannot have supper unless you provide it, then you're their caregiver. It can be that small or it can be that big. And as you think about how many people fill that role, uh, the estimated number is 60 million across this country or so who indeed are caregivers. It's huge, but so many, as you noted earlier, are really invisible. They're not out there for people to see what they're doing. And I think it's really important for us who have been caregivers or for us who know what caregiving is like to educate people, to let them know that they are a caregiver. Because after I had gone through my caregiving experience, eight years of it, my other grandmother started transitioning into the caregiving role for her husband. And I had to tell her when she was struggling and she's saying, why are things so hard? Why, why, why am I so stressed? 
I had to tell her, I didn't use these exact words, but I said, in essence, Grandma, you're a caregiver. And she's like, oh, I never really thought of that because she just figured, no, they're just two spouses. They're, they're spouses. They weren't, nobody was a caregiver for anybody else. And I had to kind of help her walk into the role of recognizing herself as a caregiver and that the dynamic between her and my grandfather had changed. And I think that's really important for everybody who has been a caregiver to be able to see the people in their lives who are entering that role and kind of walk in beside them and saying, hey, you're becoming a caregiver. Here are some tips. So, they can, so that people can be more self-aware of the roles they're entering into in life and not be kind of ambushed by what that role encompasses for them. Well, I like what you said, walking beside them, because I think a lot of people don't know what to do um, when a, a family, relatives, friends are, enter into a caregiving situation. You know, I was mm -hmm. reading a, an article recently that was talking about how angry a woman was that she thought her friends would be with her through thick and thin. But when mm -hmm. her husband got Alzheimer's about the fifth time, she said, no, she couldn't go out with him anymore. Or she couldn't go to dinner. You know, they stopped mm -hmm. asking and she really felt like they had sort of abandoned her. And so yeah. for all of us who want to be there when we see caregivers in our family and caregivers in our friends, um, you know, that that I, I'm willing to walk with you. Uh, on right. this journey and just be there and you can call me, you know, and, and I haven't been that good of a friend to some people who are caregivers uh, that have been friends with me in the past. And mm -hmm. I, I can see that. Uh, so mm -hmm. I like the idea of walking with someone. Now, the first book yes, you so. wrote, The Sea is Wide, is about uh, your experience in growing up as a caregiver, helping your granddad. And when we spoke yes. off the air the other day, you told me you're writing a second book now. I am indeed. About six chapters in so far. And this is The Sea is Narrow? No, we could call it that because it deals with narrow arteries, but it doesn't deal with a narrow sea. Yes, after the three years I spent caring for my grandfather with Alzheimer's, I spent an additional five years caring for my grandmother. She went through heart disease, ah. which, again, is another thing that a lot of people are dealing with is a loved one who has heart disease and issues like that. So it, I, I'm thinking of a different title other than The Sea is Narrow, but I suppose I'll take it under advisement <laughs> using the title. And did your grandmother, uh, is she still there or has she passed? No, she passed. She passed in 2014. Interesting. So that is a complete story. Yeah, well, I'm... It was a very interesting Go illness ahead. as well. Because, right. oh, it was a very interesting illness because after multiple heart attacks, she developed a hole in the side of her heart. So it's going to be an interesting story to relay how she went through that. They told her she had three months to live, and I took care of her for another three years. Hold that thought. We'll pick it up the next time we have you on Take 10. Randy Purdy, thank you for joining us. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.